So if you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to continue our look at this amazing text, one of the most well-known in all the world across every, almost everybody, regardless of their religious background, knows this text. And I'm going to just read this morning these few verses about the image of God. And so uh, look at verse 26 and following to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and over the birds in the heavens and on every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the field and to every bird of every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. So I told you last week, when you come to Genesis chapter one, this first section here, actually through chapter 2, verse 3, is a prologue. And that if you understand, if you can get and dig in and understand the first three chapters of Genesis, just the first three, if you really get in and think about it, what does it say, what does it really mean, uh, you will be able to comprehend the rest of your Bible in a way that I think will stun many of you who perhaps have never looked at it this way. The problem is we start to read things into Scripture. That's our big problem. People that are conservative, not politically, but just kind of conservative about the Bible, people that are serious about their Bibles, believe it's God's Word, we add to it. Now there's another side. There's a a side that's, I think, equally as bad, and that's people that say, oh, the Bible's just myth, and it's just fable, and you can't trust it, and who knows who wrote it, and we don't know anything. You know, and, and they, th- so they diminish what Scripture says, whereas some people on the other side say too much. And I think when it comes to Genesis 1, we say too much. We want it to tell us how God created the world, scientifically or chronologically. It's just not. It is not even giving you a hint about how it was done scientifically. There's nothing. There's no secret clues about how creation... It's, there's no young earth, no old earth. There's not uh, theistic evolution. There's no gap in between verse 1 and verse 2. There's nothing there other than what is there. And what is there is a magnificent, there's probably nothing like it in literature. It's not really a poem. It's more like a hymn or a chant that was something that they would have have spoken, but in a very poetic way, a lyrical way, that would have had a punch, that would have punched into their culture. 
and opened up all kinds of presuppositions about the world at that time, the ancient Near East. And next time, when I, I share with you a little bit more about the image of God over the next few weeks, you're going to see that in the very structure of the book of Genesis, built in to the way it's and the words that they're used. He's not talking about scientific or material origins. Now, I know some of you may not particularly like that, or you think, well, then we can't trust the Bible. No, it's even more reason you can trust it. Why in the world would God have written something under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to answer questions that only 20th and 21st century people are asking? Do you realize how arrogant that is? But that's us, baby. We think we have arrived and we figured it all out, so of course we can understand. Because we're not going to learn anything more about the universe and the way it's all laid out, are we? You know, your, your kids and grandkids are going to look back at you and say, can you believe those people actually use cell phones? Can you believe they drove cars? Can you believe they were actually on the street driving cars? How dangerous is that? All right, so you get the picture, right? What he is talking about is the magnificence and the glory of creation. And he's doing it in a way that it will be relevant to everybody. Those people back then, 3,000 years ago, and into a, the, the, a galaxy far, far away. Luke Skywalker will understand this. It'll be relevant for all time. So it's, it's this beautiful, prosaic poetry hymn, whatever you want to call it that is just speaking about God's magnificence in creation. And so what I told you very quickly is the first three days, it's set up like a frame, the first three days He creates light, and then on day four, He populates the light, and light is material. Light is either a wave or a particle. We don't know yet. Maybe Captain Kirk will figure it out. I don't know. But light is something, whereas darkness is what? Nothing. I know there's dark matter, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about empty, void, nothing there. There's darkness and there is something. And in that something, that light, he populates on day four with sun, moon, and stars. Day two, he creates firmament. He creates space between water above and water below. Sky. Because in the ancient Near East, their cosmology was that when you looked up and you saw the sky and the clouds, that was water. All water. And there was a hard dome that was over and keeping that water, because it was blue, right? What color is water? Blue. Used to be blue. Now it could be any color. But it used to be blue, and blue was generally water, and they would look, so water's up there, and look at the clouds, they rain, it comes right through the dome and gets on us. And then there's water down below, and in that firmament, in that space, and in that water below, day five, he populates it with fish and birds. He separated the water below from the land, and the dry land appeared, and the vegetation appeared, because what will you need in order to have Life, plants, and ground. To have that kind of life, you would need vegetation, and you would need animals, and you would need people. And so there's the frame. There is the picture of creation. God creating realms or places, then filling them. And then what does He tell mankind? You don't have to read anything into it. What does He say to man? Multiply and do what? Multiply. 
fill and form, fill and form the emptiness. Go out and do it. And folks, the reason this is so important is because it hasn't changed till today. That is still your purpose in life, and that's what we're going to talk about. That is why you exist. You know all the angst. Look, every generation has its own angst. Everybody has, everybody's wondering, what's the meaning? What am I here for? Why am I here? How come my life's not going so great? We're going to talk about that later. You know, what's going on? Horatius Bonar said this, listen. The great temple of creation has now been reared and roofed in. It is perfect in its kind, a glorious manifestation of its glorious Maker. But it wants a worshiper. It wants a worshiper. Somebody that can look around and recognize the glory of what this is. Appreciate. In other words, they, they recognize beauty. They have an artistic beauty sensitivity. They have a nature, a creative side to where when they when they see a tree like the the conservative commentary george wilson they see a tree they can imagine a baseball bat and think of it all that comes from just that or they can look on the beauty of a redwood forest and against all odds Say to everybody, every profiteer on the face of the earth, no, we are not going to cut down these redwoods because this area is just too beautiful. We don't want to touch it. Do you see, we as human beings are supposed to be able to hold both of those in our hands and take care of it. You don't have to choose sides. You don't have to become an environmentalist crazy person. And you don't have to go through and just ravage the planet for exploitation and for profit. Not exploit and not worship the creation. We don't have to do either one. We can actually do with, we can make baseball bats and, and have, save our national parks. God cannot rest in His work until this is done. You. Until He brings you there's no rest for him. Now, you know, God doesn't get tired, so you got to think. You know, he's using metaphors, he's using stuff, you know, he's going on with the language. It's poetic, it's beautiful. What he's saying is, you matter. You are important. Let us make man. This is the word Adam, and it means humanity. In this context, it is not male and female, it is humankind. Humankind. Let us make man, humanity in our image. The writer of this is pure genius. He's a literary master. And this is thousands of years old, folks. These people were brilliant. He says, make man in our Salem. And what he's saying is, we're going to make man like an idol. That is the common word. Every other time you read in your Bible, don't worship idols, don't have idols, don't make idols, don't make graven images, don't carve anything, don't do anything. He uses the word salem, common word. And then he doesn't use an and, he just says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And likeness is the word demut, means we're going to shape or model him. So it's an image that we're going to shape and model and let them have dominion. He created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. 
Three times, you can feel the intensity, you can feel the rhythm. Three times he says, they are being made in my image, in my likeness, pushing, pushing. And he's saying something that is so profound in the ancient Near East context, and I would argue that it's the same today in our world in the 21st century where we claim to be enlightened and we think that men and women, we're all equal, we have equal, equal rights, equal everything, but... But for Moses and these ancient people, that was radical then. It was radical now. We're going to make them male and female in our image. He brought forth the beast. Look at verse 24. He brought forth the beast and the fish. And you know, all these things are being brought forth. But what does he do with mankind? What does he do with humanity? He creates them. There is a special touch in God for you. You are the closest to God of the things He made, but you are in no way God. It is profound what He's saying. It is profound what Moses is saying because He uses language throughout, and I don't know if we'll have time today, you know, time's running on, but He uses the language in chapter 1 to, to hammer away that the image, this idol, this one I made, this Selem, is not going to be endowed with the magical power that the other idols in the world had because, you know, when they carved a statue, the the statue was impregnated or infused with the power of the thing itself. So if you you had to reverence the statue, you had to venerate the thing itself. We're not God. We're not ever going to be God. We're not even going to be close to God. We're not endowed with His power. But the image does reflect, perfectly reflect. That's part of what image is. And I'll tell you more about this in the weeks to come. We're going to spend a little bit of time on it because it's so important. Because it, it tells you who you are. It tells you why you exist. God made you, He crafted you, He loves you, He adores you. And when you sin, when you mess up, when you, go, you take a nosedive and you hit rock bottom, you get to the worst place in your life, guess who you're going to find down there? He loves what He made. He absolutely has poured into us incredible worth like nothing else. It's an appellation that is nowhere else. To you, He says, come here, my beloved bride. And He wraps His arms around you and He loves you. That's how He loves you. That's how He sees you. That's what you are. The image of God. One that can fully relate to Him and one that He fully relates to. Not in every way because we're not infinite and we're not omniscient and we're not omnipresent. We're not all those, those big theological words. But there are so many ways in which only you and I can communicate with Almighty God. And He revealed it finally and fully in that perfect human, His Son. Richard Proud, he said this, the entire Old Testament, the whole Bible for that matter, is keenly concerned with what it means to be human. In fact, the biblical teaching on God and humanity, the biblical teaching on God and humanity is so intertwined. They are so intertwined that we cannot understand one without the other. God's centeredness without man-centeredness is not God's centeredness at all. And what Richard is saying is that you wouldn't know anything about God at all except for the fact that He made you in His image. 
so that you could know, so that you could feel, so that you could recognize beauty. What is the most beautiful thing that you can imagine? God. I hope you understand that God, ha- God has done something with humanity that is just mind-blowing. So what are we? Well, let me give you this. It's just an intro, and I don't have much time. I want to stop. What are we? We should have a unique understanding of our personhood because God is not an it. He is a who. There is a personhood in our identity as human beings. Male or female makes no difference. Nothing matters except that you are created in the image of God. There's personhood. We're unique. God is not a what. He's a who. So relationship is big, big part of image likeness. That's what's going on here. That we can relate to God in a way that animals cannot, that fish cannot, that creepy things and all that stuff cannot. But I'm not going to say they can't because I have two dogs and I know how they relate to me and the world around them. I have one that's an Arminian and one that's a Calvinist. The one that's Arminian, he thinks he has free will. He's lived under the illusion that he has free will his whole life. The other one is a Calvinist, and he's a boxer. He's a knucklehead, so you know he's a Calvinist. (laughs) He didn't know. Like Tevia, you remember Fiddler on the Roof? Tevia's trying to explain to his daughter Hava that she can't have Fiedka because he's a Gentile and she's Jewish. And so he says to her, as the good book says, which it doesn't, which is half of the funny part about Tevia, as the good book says, each shall seek his own kind. Can you see him doing this? In other words, a bird may love a fish, but where would they build a home together? Persons are able to relate to God and we can have a home together. That home together is not heaven, by the way. That home together, if you remember Revelation, is here. Very material. Because Jesus, our Lord, is material. In the Gulag Archipelago, I don't know if any of you read this book by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a famous book. This one quote, it's used a lot, but it's absolutely magnificent. If only there were evil people. If only, he's saying, if only there were evil people somewhere, insidious, committing evil deeds. If they were only out there somewhere, that would be only, if it was only necessary that we separate the bad from the good. If we could just do that, we could put them in the gulag. We could put them in the concentration camp. We could get them away from the rest of us and destroy them. But the dividing line, dividing good and evil, cuts through the heart of every man who's willing to destroy himself. He's saying, you know, we're not going to do that, so we artificially do it. Oh, they're a different color. Oh, they're a different gender. Oh, they're different. You know, we start doing that all day long in subtle ways and in very egregious ways. Scrooge's nephew, Fred, I have always thought of Christmas time, the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open up their shut-up hearts freely and to think of other people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys We all have one destiny, the grave. How do you live between these two grand destinies of incredible Jesus-like humility and incredible high level of dignity? How do you make the balance? And I'm going to say, as I've said 
It is not 50-50. It's not somewhere on a continuum. It is 100% humility, 100% full-blown, bold. I'm the, I'm the daughter and son of a king. I am the, you know, it's 100% of that dignity, 100% of that humility. And here's where you see it. Here's how you know if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Have the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others better than yourselves, more significant. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant. What he did was he clothed himself. What did Jesus choose to clothe all that glory? The form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form. He humbled himself. Becoming obedient to death. And not just any death. Death on a cross. Death naked. Death tortured. Death as a criminal. Death as an evil man. He clothed himself with that so that you and I could walk both in humility and in dignity so that when we are crushed to the ground and we're telling ourselves, I'm no good for nothing, I don't matter, my life is worthless. You're in the image of God. You have dignity, you have no idea. It's why we're repulsed by death. To know that Jesus clothed himself that way for me and that I'm worth that to him. That you are, then go into the world. Will you trust Him? Let's pray.